talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Spider-Man Far From Home, released in June 2019, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach hitting out at a panorama report on anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, Martin Scorsese's Rolling Thunder review of Bob Dylan's story, or Jennifer Aniston posting a photo of a friend's cast reunion to Instagram instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Spider-Man Far From Home when I live-tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. It seems odd to describe such a fun and energetic film as low-key, but what a great way to wind down and tie up the few loose ends after the Infinity Saga. So what's going to happen with Nick Fury and the Skrulls building sword, then? Well, we don't know yet because everything's been delayed, but that's what I had to say about it, though, and joining me to give her thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home is writer and author Gabby Hutchison-Crouch. Gabby, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Scribbler if you like political yelling. And also you can find my words in the Darkwood books, which are family friendly fantasy novels, which are available from all good bookshops and one evil bookshop. So before going any further, Gabby, what happens in Spider-Man Far From Home? Lots of layered things happen in Spider-Man Far From Home. But, but the basic gist of it is Spider-Man tries to go on holiday and it keeps getting interrupted by middle-aged men who want him to do other things. That's one of the best summations we've had so far. <laughs> Gabby, how much did you know about Spider-Man before you saw this film? Uh, well, by this point, I was like well on board MCU. I'd sort of got into it around the first Avengers movie, and then I just sort of got really into it. But also, you know, Spider-Man, he's the one Marvel, because I'm from the 80s, so he's like the one Marvel character that was big when I was growing up. That was that cartoon with the ice guy and the fire lady <laughs> that's all i can remember of it and also he'd be on the logo at the end of lots of other marvel like Dun- i think he was at the end of dungeon dragons cartoon because it was marvel so yeah yeah i knew a fair and I'd, I'd enjoyed the toby Maguires. i didn't bother watching the andrew garfields but i'd enjoyed the toby Maguires until they went weird had Spider-Verse been out by then? Yes, it was out about six months before this. I mean, how weird it is to think that this only came out just over a year ago. I, I was thinking while I was prepping for this, that it's a really, weirdly, now a really happy memory. I went to see this on the day it came out, and I treated myself to the Odeon Gallery. And I'll be honest with you, I liked it so much, and I had nothing else to do, that I actually just bought another ticket, stayed in the Odeon Gallery, <laughs> and went back in. And Fair enough. thinking back to that now, is quite. it seems like another universe. Luxury, really. that's a different world, isn't it? <laughs> Going to see a film twice. So yeah, I'd already seen my favourite Spider-Man, but because <laughs> I'd seen um, I'd seen uh, Spider-Verse, which is wonderful. So yeah, I knew a fair amount. I'm not like a big sort of comic book nerd, but I am really enjoying the MCU. 
And this is particularly interesting because, as you say, at its heart, it is just basically an adventure with a romance subplot. But there's so much more in it in that it does kind of, as I say, wind down and tie up the whole Infinity Saga. Lots of little loose ends are dealt with. And the main thing to say is that although Quentin Beck as Mysterio, who's the main villain, is new for this... The people who work with him are people that have appeared in minor roles in all the other films, being belittled by Tony Stark or falling foul of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever. And they all come together in the end and say, we haven't been treated very well. (laughs) Therefore, we've got this plan to take over Tony Stark's equipment. Like, just join a union, lads. Seriously, it's a a lot less hassle. I love that. I loved all the little, I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll get to this later, but the little, the, the moment when the penny drops and you see all the little scenes where the buddies now are sort of standing in the background getting shouted at (laughs) (laughs) it's basically it's it's all of the yeah it's it's all the background villains that get sort of pushed to one side get out of here and then they fall down to go oh my working kids they've all sort of come together to sort of grudge these minor minor characters and they do have a point of sorts because they weren't treated very well in the films and also quentin beck's main problem is that all tony stark's tech has been given to a quite in some ways ineffectual high school kid he might be <laughs> called the spider-man he is not good at dealing with any other aspects of his life and that Include Stark technology because he nearly kills his classmates on the road trip <laughs> by saying the wrong things at Edith, the new AI that's powered through his like mega shades, however they work exactly. They do have really, you can't agree with how they go about it, but they're not quite the villains of the piece. Isn't that the way with so many of MCU? Certainly they're later villains. Like you can totally see Killmonger's point. You can kind of see Thanos's point, but yeah. not, I mean, I guess, but it, again, it's, it's the way they go about it. You can certainly see Morbo's point, and I know he's sort of becoming more villain adjacent, I imagine, in the next. Yeah, you know, I like these villains where you can go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those are the dangerous ones, aren't they? The ones that aren't just cackling. It's the ones who can put across a reasoned argument and you can't. Oh, maybe this maniac's got a point. <laughs> maybe he should kill half of London. I don't know. It's a funny film. There's lots of, sort of I was sort of re-watching it last night. It's got so many, it does have a lot of layers to it for something that's superficially really fluffy. Because <laughs> first of all, it's a small, it's, it is a sort of more low-key film, but it's often dressed up as having much sort of bigger implications. So first of all, it's like, sort of like a fun coming of age comedy about a bunch of teenagers going on tour around Europe and trying to have sex sort of like a little bit in, in between us but also they're dealing with this sort of mass grief that the whole planet has just been completely messed up and it, I love the way that in that opening montage they deal with all the deaths of they deal with so much of the emotional upset of Endgame in like a really really bad montage <laughs> <laughs> like one of the pictures of one of the dead Avengers has got still got the Getty images yes! uh, watermark <laughs> water and one of them's really low res I think there's like a really low res picture is the robot guy the robot guy that I hate. What's his name? Uh, Vision. You've also got all those pictures of Tony in the backgrounds, which are impossible to miss. Peter will be chatting to someone. There'll be a massive portrait of Tony in the background with like a shrine to it. But Tony is such an important figure in this film and he's not in it. And I think there's a lot of... Generally, the Spider-Man story is Peter Parker mourns for a father figure. (laughs) And often it's uh, Uncle Ben. In this one, he's got an Uncle Ben replacement who is also dead. And he seems to be looking for a replacement for his replacement for his dad. 
No, he's looking for a replacement for the replacement for the replacement for his dad. He has got so many father issues for like a 16 year old boy. Um, yeah, he seems to be looking for like a Tony replacement and everyone's saying, no, you're the Tony replacement. He's going, no, I'm a child. <laughs> That's crazy talk. And yeah, he's given some glasses and then the whole first half of the film is about a middle aged man trying to steal some glasses off a child. And it's done with Mysterio. Mysterio is really, really interesting because I was sort of watching it again and I, what I really liked about Mysterio that I found a little bit annoying when I was watching it at first because I was going into it not knowing the twist. What I liked about him thinking about it was how much he borrowed from so many of the other heroes. So he's got armour and he flies in the same kind of style as Iron Man. He's got this cape that's a little bit Doctor Strange and a little bit Thor. He is very Thor-like in general. He's got a sort of, almost a sort of a, sort of a Roman kind of look to his armour that would sort of complement the, the Norse style armour of the Asgard the shapes that he throws are like really Doctor Strange. So he seems to have like borrowed from three like really big hitting Avengers or Avengers adjacent heroes, which when you think about it, he's done that deliberately. <laughs> And so much of his story is also borrowed from the stories of these other characters that clearly he's done deliberately. Like his story is grounded enough in the reality of their world. So the elementals that he says that he's fighting that destroyed his planet just sounds, oh yeah, elementals, infinity stones. Yeah, I get that. There's one for air and one for, yeah, we had one for heart and one for space and one for mind. Yeah, we get that. That makes sense in our world. And also he sort of made them out to be mythological, like the Asgardians, to the point that Peter says, oh, so we've heard about these elementals in mythology. Yes, that makes sense because we thought that Thor was a god in like Norse mythology. It turns out it was an alien. So yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And the way that he sort of cherry picked lots of little details, sort of aesthetic and in terms of his narrative he's plucked them out of, of the rest he's basically he's been watching the Avengers with us he's been watching MCU and go oh yeah I'll take that little bit out of Thor's storyline and I'll take that little bit out of Doctor Strange's aesthetic he's got these eyes on his armour that look quite like Doctor Strange's eye pendant and stuff and you, you can see where he's sort of come from in that and there yeah you find out that it's all it turns out to be not in fact an apocalyptic Avengers style problem that apparently all the other heroes are busy I really love that bit where he goes oh this is really scary um can Doctor Strange do it no he's busy can Captain Marvel do it no she went away sorry what about Thor no he's washing his hair love no you have to do it and instead of that it turns out to be it goes from being quite a small scale sort of lads on tour kind of an adventure to being a big oh god the world's gonna get eaten by a monster story and then it turns out to be a much smaller and more sort of grounded in our real world story about fake news and propaganda and about not believing everything you see and about the way that propagandists will pick and choose little elements from reality to sort of ground their stories and then it ends with um, fake news being very much turned against him. Yeah, there is that whole really strong streak of fake news in it, which I think mm. it's quite telling that when I first saw it, you know, I was aware that that was in it, but it kind of just felt like another part of the film to me. Rewatching it now, it's a very deliberate statement. So when you think they did it in quite a few other things, like particularly in the Daredevil series, mm. Wilson Fisk is such a strong Trump analogy in some ways, even though he's like more intelligent than 18,000 million Trumps put together. <laughs> but there is that theme that runs through quite a few things 
thinks of commenting on what's going on at the moment. But this is the strongest in terms of dealing with the whole thing of fake news. I mean, actually, Mysterio's setup revolves around sort of cutting-edge digital projection technology and manipulating yeah. footage. And Creating deepfakes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, technically, alien deepfakes is the best way of describing it. Again, it's unusual that for something that is ostensibly a light and, as you say, really fully filmed, that that underpins it. And just to go back to what you said about them dealing with all the emotion at the start of it, and then it moves on from that to become its own thing. Apparently, it's just set a couple of minutes after the actual end of Endgame. The last you see of Peter in that is he's actually walking into the school hall and yes. chatting with Ned. But they also deal with you know the whole way time's been messed up, almost as a joke at the start of it, and don't refer to it again. I remember reviewers at the time saying, that was a bit unsatisfactory to deal with that quite important hanging plot thread as a joke in a Spider-Man film. And then it later turned out the last series of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That is their whole season. Like, trying to figure out <laughs> what has happened. How do we undo this? Which, we should have seen that coming, really. We should have known that's what they were going to do. But there is all this heavy, serious stuff underneath what is still an extremely fun action film. Yeah, and I actually like that they took the macro problem of the snap and the blip and told it to us through like a really small community of just these few teenagers in a school and, and what it would have meant to them and that it does mostly mean that they're annoyed about their midterms and they, they're annoyed that the snotty 12 year old is now suddenly super hot because he lived through it and he sort of aged five years and is now gorgeous. <laughs> I liked that. I, I like sort of taking big stories and, and hearing it told through like a microcosm. I thought that was a, a, just like a nice little a shift in focus really. It definitely suits Spider-Man. Peter sort of says throughout the whole of this, I'm just I'm a local guy I'm a local hero for local problems I mostly sort things out in Queens okay <laughs> if you've got a fight in an alleyway I will be there this is huge and it's eating London this is not my <laughs> speed yeah again I, I like that and it, for Spidey it does suit him sort of making it a smaller thing and also a thing about media because you know Spidey's a photographer well Canon Spidey from the comics is a photographer and for the Daily Bugle and I think it's quite fitting that it also becomes part of sort of yeah media and what the media is like now to talk about sort of fakery and trickery and sort of deep fakes and, and stuff like that. I also like the fact that there's layers to the fakery as well. So in the big sort of fight where Beck is throwing everything he's got at Peter, you've got these layers of weirdness <laughs> to the point that when he thinks things are normal, it turns out he's still seeing a fake. It's just a slightly less mad fake than the one that he knew was definitely a fake. I'm torn about the final reveal. What we thought were Fury and Hill turn out to be scrolls all along and Nick Fury was just like chilling <laughs> this whole time it makes the stakes much smaller again but it does explain why fury was such a rube through that whole thing i was just really really trusting and like hey it's a guy from space let's just believe everything he says and also why they pick peter parker because like you say there is that list of people they go through where he's mm. just not available off planet etc yeah. there were other people that could have gone for in sort of cloud cuckoo land in you know everyone's <laughs> imagination they could even have said hey Luke Cage can you come and help us out yeah. <laughs> you're invulnerable you could sort this out but you know they don't know any better because they are scrolls <laughs> yeah. that boy can swing on webs <laughs> he's strong and he's sticky 
<laughs> so yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm sort of torn on that, but I, I do like the fact that it means that at one point, when I wrote down all the layers of lying that was going on in one point, where they're talking to Beck and Beck's talking to them. So I think you've got you've got the scrolls pretending to be Fury and Maria Hill lying to Beck, who is pretending to be Mysterio, who is lying to them. <laughs> So you just got nobody's who they say they are, except for possibly Peter, and and everyone's sort of lying to each other. Basically, everyone over the age of twenty is being a big old liar, just <laughs> constantly. And the only people you can trust really are the teenagers in it. But yeah, and there's a lot of hijacking of the film. Yeah, there, I mean, there's literally a point where Fury, we, who we think is Fury, turns up and just shoots Peter's friend in the neck <laughs> and yeah. goes, "You're coming with me." And I also like that throughout that whole scene, the coming of age rom com is trying. to to get back into the film. Fury's doing this big sort of heroic monologue and people keep knocking on the door going, Peter, are you coming out? <laughs> I want to have crisps and talk about things. It's a film that seems to be constantly, there are lots of different elements sort of trying to tug our protagonist one way and another. And it feels like sort of at least two films trying to happen at once, which is fine. At this point, they're so, the MCU are just so relaxed about what they're doing and I think they trust their audience so much that they can do that they can go hey this is a this is a rom-com about some teenagers going to venice and trying to snog but it's also about a big monster made of water but it's also not it's also this you're cool with it right yeah you're just gonna watch it and you can get what it is and i really like that about the mcu they just they trust us to not need everything spoon feeding to us and to go oh this is a superhero movie but it's also several different things Jay Jonah Jameson here. Spider-Man, a psychopath wielding powers he has no right to possess, trying to pass himself off as a hero. Well, let me tell you something, kid. You're no hero. Mysterio, that's a hero. You are a criminal, a miscreant, a masked marauder, a menace. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Speaking of the kids in it, one thing I really liked was they gave his classmates a bit more depth than in the first... I mean, in the first one, they were just introducing them, and they were kind of ancillary characters, really. But in this, you know, they do show a more human side to them, because, I mean, Ned gets to have a holiday romance with one of their classmates, which yes. is unexpected. MJ, really interestingly, because she's such a great character, so sardonic, she's the one that actually suspects that the fake news may be fake news, just because that's her default mode. Yeah. In the first film, she was kind of like a an amped-up Daria, you know, just <laughs> had to have the... Yeah. The down take on everything, which she is in this, but she also gets a display. When she realises that Peter's interested in her, she lets a little bit of herself slip mm. in a measured way. But the one that really surprised me was Flash, who obviously is very different from Flash in the comics, but is the annoying joker of the class who hates yeah. Peter, but in a comical way, you know, yeah. picks on him constantly. In this, he's shown not to be. I mean, he's just a pain in the first film, but he's not the bad guy in this. No, he, he's brave. He's more likeable than yeah. Brad, who's the big hunky one, who I think is a bit of a rat, really. He and is. You can tell the Flash, when the chips are down, he's on the right side. And also, yeah. the thrill he has when Happy Hogan says to him that Spider-Man follows him on, <laughs> I assume it's Instagram, but yeah. you know, we've all had that moment, you know, when you're on Twitter and you'll say, very famous person followed yeah. you, and you think, oh my God. <gasps> 
How did that, yeah. that? That shouldn't be happening. That's me. His reaction is just like, it's so easy to relate to him. I love that they made them a bit more relatable in that way. Yeah, definitely. I also like that MJ works it out about Peter and he's trying to say, oh, I really like you. I want to give you a kiss. And she's like, you're going to tell me that you're Spider-Man. Like, what? <laughs> Which is great. You know, I remember how annoyed I was back in the days of Lois and Clark adventures when we had to somehow believe that this incredibly intelligent woman couldn't tell the difference between a man wearing glasses and a man not wearing glasses <laughs> and I really like that MJ has just worked it out and that she probably has been watching him a little bit more because it's like oh he's nice but also you know they're good mates and you would if you were a teenage girl who you had like a good friend who you had like a little bit of frisson with you would be sort of watching what they were doing and when they kept slipping out and saying oh I've got to go and tie my shoelaces for half an hour and at that exact time Spider-Man or Night Monkey as oh, he yes. is like <laughs> Nacht Monkey, as he is known in Europe with his balaclava, happens to be there and do heroics and then he'll go off and the same boy with the same build will come in and go, oh, I finished tying my shoes. Did anything happen? Of course you'd work that out. And I really like that she did it and she was just really cool about it. Yeah, I really like her. She's a great character and she's sort of done with it's a lot of fun. Again, to have like a sardonic superhero love interest who's not like, because when I was watching that, when he went off to be Spider-Man I couldn't help hearing like the Kirsten dunce you go get in Tiger in my head <laughs> and just thinking about it made me cringe again <laughs> who does that go get in Tiger terrible well one thing that i don't know how many people have picked up on this but one thing i love about the mcu is that they do acknowledge even though the whole reason that was founded is because they always hated the other iterations of marvel in tv and film and never mm. felt it being done right i mean stan lee's autobiography he is quite cutting about a lot of the previous attempts and this was them trying to do it right but they do acknowledge all of those in different ways whether it's kind of ironic and knowing or whether it's picking something they liked out of it like in this in what you alluded to earlier about the massive hallucinatory bits where it's a in the climactic to fight. The first, the first Tobey Maguire outfit, isn't it? It is, but also yeah. the whole look of it is like something you would have seen in. There was that little attempt at doing kind of a proto MCU on TV in the 70s where there was the Hulk series, there was the Spider Man series, and Doctor mm. Strange as well that never really took off. But it looked like something from one of those, you know, those kind of 70s lights and shades. Yeah. And I love that that was in there that you know just that little nod to something that you know they're probably not that keen to acknowledge existed yeah but they don't mind referencing it yeah and it, i did feel like when during that bit i was sure that when the too many spider-man pull off his classic spider-man outfit and it's him in like just a hood which is clearly the first one that he made that felt like a reference to that first toby Maguire one where he makes his own outfit to start off with and um, there are lots of other really nice references to the other mcu things as well i was talking about how Mysterio picks and chooses little elements. It feels like that that gets mirrored in the last fight, but by the good guys. So there's the bit when they're in the Tower of London, MJ picks up a mace that she nearly drops, but she catches it. And that feels like a reference to Thor's hammer. And then Happy throws a shield and like makes a reference that that's much harder to do than Captain America gives credit for. But the, the one bit that really gave me goosebumps was with Peter on Tower Bridge. As a side note, I really like how they make it very, very clear it's called Tower Bridge <laughs> like they <laughs> reference it several times first of all Happy says they said London Bridge but they're on Tower Bridge they said London Bridge but I worked it out um, and then there's like a big sign 
that says Tower Bridge. Um, the bit where Peter fashions a lobbing instrument out of bits of car and then picks up the sign that says Tower Bridge. That gave me goosebumps because that felt like a very, very clear reference to, again, to Thor's hammer and, and Cap's shield. The part in the fight where Cap holds both. That definitely felt like they were sort of referencing that, which was also shadowing Mysterio referencing those heroes as well. I felt as well, because this is the first time they've really, really ventured abroad in any of the films, which I think is quite telling given some of the ones that are coming up. But, you know, there's a number of countries that visited in it. There's Germany, there's Holland. There's Holland! The bit in Holland was lovely! It's like, it's totally based on national stereotypes, but they chose such lovely national stereotypes. (laughs) It's like, what are we going to do in Prague? Oh, they've got opera, they've got wonderful festivals, they've got beautiful scenery. In London, they've got all this history and pomp and they've got these beautiful landmarks. In Holland, what have they got? Tulips and really, really, really nice people. Yes, really helpful football fans who've been arrested. (laughs) In jail, and the bit where he goes out and the prison guard goes, are you guys okay? And they just very politely shut the unlocked door behind them because it's not time for them to leave the cell yet. Yeah, I really like that bit. But the London bits really, really reminded me of Russell T. Davis, Doctor Who. And that is exactly something that would happen, particularly in David Tennant's era. The Doctor and Rose or Donna get locked in somewhere with the crown jewels and have to use what's yes. the hand to defend themselves, making jokes about them the whole time. It really felt like that. And I do wonder if that was deliberate, if that was the kind of London they wanted to evoke. It was very, I mean, of all the places to go and hide. Quick, let's go and hide in the Tower of London where the crown jewels are. Yeah, of course, that's what you do if you were running for your life in London. Yeah, it was it was very much more a come and visit London, London, rather than the last time any of the Avengers was in Britain, which is when they had a fight outside of Boots. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Edinburgh or Glasgow? Boots and a chip shop. Well, like I say, I mean, there have been a couple of things that have come after this. Technically, still part of the... Not really part of Phase 3 of the films. Not really part of Phase 4, but somewhere in between. But still kind of clinging on to the end of the Infinity Saga. But this kind of was supposed to be the nominal end of it. And I think it's telling that Peter choosing his new suit from the available designs with ACDC playing in the background is an exact mirror of the first Iron Man film. So it's kind of a where it started, where it ended thing. The question is where it goes next and there's two very heavy hints in the post credit scenes I mean in the first one it's directly about what happens to Spider-Man but presumably everyone else next in the well I'll let you explain it because identity gets revealed yes because while we're talking about fake news and propaganda it then brings in the element of highly partisan blogs and vlogs and websites which it turns out the, the Daily Bugle is basically bright art it seems yeah. to be something slightly like sort of Alex Jones of InfoWars type of thing and they bring back J.K. Simmons which I was so cheered by and I think everybody who's watching it was just delighted because he has to play J.J. So they bring him back as yeah this sort of Alex Jones type who does reveal that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and I can't remember that happening in any of the things that I've seen before with Spider-Man in it so that will be really interesting but also he's sort of I've never seen a version of Spider-Man where he's got that many allies as well so maybe this is sort of evening up the odds a little bit because usually Spidey's just sort of on his own but at least he has his anonymity in this one he's sort of he's got all these sort of other heroes that he can sort of rely on which in a way sort of 
shows him it makes him feel more vulnerable i think sort of with the Tobey Maguire spider spider mans you sort of felt like he was a spider man in these he's next to like these heroes in their 30s 40s and 50s and he very much feels like a spider boy <laughs> so yeah he does feel more vulnerable but he's also got like a large group of people that he can probably rely on so maybe it's evening up the score a little bit removing his anonymity but we'll see it'll be interesting well and also something that was struck me recently was bringing in the J. Jonah Jameson from the previous Spider-Man films with the same actor but in a slightly different mould mm. does make me wonder if they are definitely going to cover multiple universes in Phase 4 because you know, yeah. the Doctor Strange film is actually called the Multiverse of Madness and that's got to be where Loki reappears from and things like that oh, and, nice. but given that the current rumour is that the next Spider-Man film will somehow to some extent pick up on Into the Spider-Verse and all of that <gasps> and have all three recent movie Spider-Mans in it that would kind of fit in with that I think yeah sort of I love that I really love that idea um, partially because yeah again you can recreate the meme of the three Spider-Men <laughs> pointing at each other but also because I love Spider-Verse so much well first of all you have got the, the Prowler exists in MCU yes, does, and yeah. they've got an amazing actor to play him and also I would really like them to bring back well to bring the idea of Lady Doc Ock yeah. into this because we haven't had a Doc Ock yet and I think Olivia Coleman would absolutely smash that definitely get John Mulaney to play Spider Ham <laughs> <laughs> What I'd really like is Tobey Maguire is now old enough to play schlubby Peter B from Into the Spider-Verse and it felt like Into the Spider-Verse that they were heavily implying that Peter B kind of is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. The other one is I still can't figure out where on earth they're going with this because as you alluded to it turns out that Nick Fury and Maria Hill aren't Nick Fury and Maria Hill they're scrolls. Nick Fury is up in space building sword with a load of scrolls. so obviously that's going to be because they're done with S.H.I.E.L.D. now even though I think the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are going to reappear in future things. They're obviously concentrating on space with S.W.O.R.D., but all of the new characters that are coming in, people like Shang-Chi, Moon Knight, Blade, who are very much based on Earth, how are they going to fit in with something that happens in space? I really want to know. There is obviously a plan there, and I can't figure it out. <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll find out if Black Widow ever comes out. Uh... Again. That gives rise to my other theory, which is, I wonder if the Natasha that was killed in Endgame was a Skrull. Ooh. Well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Gabby, if you had the ability to convince the world's population that visual effects were reality, what would you use it for? I tried to use it to do good you know i'd probably try to to use it to to convince everyone to sort out climate change immediately that's what i'd do i'd create like massive fake floods make them um, actually realize that climate change is a thing just show them what would be happening quite soon if they don't sort it out but oh it's happening now so it's your problem so you have to sort it out not our kids that's what i do with it well i think even mj would approve of that answer gabby yeah. thank <laughs> you and excelsior thank you If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.